Commandos. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Hunter Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nucky spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good, good Friday, Chase. Hey, hey. Good start. Hey, hey, hey. Ah. What happened? You all right? I couldn't hear myself because I had it on the wrong end. Atta boy, there you go. Will you please do all myself a favor and not mess with anything over there? That's the station I usually sit during football. No, no. I just, just, you know, when you do to hear yourself in the system where you cut highlights, you have to put it on input four. I'm sure this is information everyone wants to hear. Yes. And uh, just to get your Friday off started right, and which I've got to get on, you know, got to get on the road like an hour or two here, so we can uh, go to Birmingham for the contest. But um, yeah, yeah, that's um, you know. Well, that's a that's a heck of a awesome segue into the, the show. show. Yeah, yeah, good work. You, what do you want to talk about? You want to talk about uh, Kurt Bloom? We'll, 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 we'll have can, him on. We, we can, can talk we more can about, about Sanford that. Radio for ten minutes, like we did no, the outside no, last show. We got up to a couple that. of really not good starts. I know, I know. We're gonna Kurt Bloom will join us. Uh, have we welcomed everybody to Sandoz Sidekick yet, or I'm just going, hey, there you go. Just right. waved everybody. You know, it's radio. Yeah, so Sandoz Sidekick, that, that, that's just, uh, if you've listened to the podcast, you're probably not shocked by any of this. It's your first time listening to the podcast. Probably I appreciate you giving us a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're still with us, thank goodness. Well, we will be talking a lot about uh, Sanford, not just Mike and mine's breakdown of this contest. We will have Kurt Bloom, who will handle the ESPN3 call and has done uh, all the home games for Sanford for several years now. So, Pretty well versed in Sanford Bulldog football. We'll talk to him. Also, Austin Herrick's going to stop by and talk to you a little bit later. And then finally, bold predictions. Tons with Austin Herrick. Uh, not only Sanford related, Devlin Hodges related. Wanted to get his thoughts on Devlin as a quarterback, as a guy. Um, just having been around him during camps, growing up, obviously playing against him while he was at Sanford. And talked about, of course, Twitter and their love for Austin Herrick. And it's been kind of a rough week for Austin. Just in general, it has nothing to do with the team's performance or anything like that. Personally, rough week for him, so we're going to try and hash it out with Is him. Is that later. because he's a Nebraska fan? Uh, actually, we didn't even get to that, so a really rough yeah. week then. A really rough season, unfortunately, for Nebraska, and I think everyone saw it coming except Nebraska themselves. Going and back, the pollsters, apparently. Going back to Devlin Hodges for a few seconds, do you know one FCS record he does not hold? Well, there's a lot that he does. I mean, does. there's plenty, but but there's somebody tackles, in South, career so, tackles. Somebody in the Southern Conference at the quarterback position just set an FCS record. Reese Udinsky, mm. most consecutive passes without an incompletion. It's not just a single season. It is the career best, 344 consecutive passes without an interception, coming off an 18-interception year. Well, I give you credit because you've been kind of foreshadowing that record a lot of the season, not knowing what the record was, not knowing if he was approaching it or not, and boom, there it is. And so 
It wasn't a bold prediction by you, but you did allude to it throughout. It doesn't get you any points in bold predictions. Don't get too ahead of I've yourself. I've already tuned you out. You said I did get points. You did? No, you did. No, I didn't say that. No, yeah. didn't say that. No. Was, uh, but you do get credit. You don't okay. get points, you do get credit. All right, we'll talk about that a little later, bold predictions, some other things. All right, let's take a look at the Sanford Bulldogs. Clearly, you, you think Sanford, you think points. Mike, no shock. They are still leading the league in points. They're still leading the league in most offensive categories. What's shocking is that the defense has not produced. Now, because of the style they play, their defense is never going to be top two, maybe three ever. But they were always sort of a middle-of-the-road defense. This year, boy, they've really struggled. They are, I think, dead last in most defensive categories. But again, they score so much. The one thing that, that shocks me, number one, they're still averaging 40 points considering they have the football six or seven minutes less than what they've been averaging the last couple of years. And then just their inability late in games, which, again, maybe the system works against them, but late in games to hang on to some of these leads, and they've took some tough losses on the chin. This may be bold, but I don't think they're as good on offense or as bad on defense as it appears this year. And the main reason is because they've been to three overtime games, seven overtime periods. And so that's going to not hurt really your yardage marks on defense or uh, really help your yardage marks on offense. But scoring wise, you reference points per game. And when you go to a double overtime game against Tennessee Tech and quadruple overtime against Citadel and obviously the VMI game, that was 41-41 going to overtime. Then you don't score. VMI gets the touchdown from Alex Ramsey, uh, so on and so forth but I think that the stats are a bit skewed now are they one of the lesser defensive teams in the league yes are they one of the better offensive teams in the league yes but I don't think it's as drastic as it would appear points are going to come there's no question about that and this is worrisome for ETSU and it was a comment from the coaches show that got me thinking about this Randy Sanders and you and me haven't even really talked about this despite the fact that we pour over every stat seemingly every week with ETSU football the starts for the Bucs have been atrocious almost the entire year zero first quarter conference points I mean that is shocking to me when I went and looked back at it VMI you didn't score it was 0-0 then down 7 to nothing against Wofford um, Furman and Chattanooga so zero first quarter conference points, three first quarter points outside of the shorter game. The entire year, three first quarter points if you throw out the Division Two game, and they've trailed after one quarter in each of the last four games. The start has to change if you're going to keep up with a team like Sanford. And how many first possession points have they given up in league play? I mean, you're looking at they, they gave up, I believe, a first possession to, well, definitely Wofford. They gave it up to Furman. I want to say they did chat as well. They didn't VMI. Uh, and that's the four conference games, right? So three of the four conference games. And if you want to go to Austin P, the first drive, I want to say they gave up a touchdown on that as well. But I, I, I Chattanooga think, and Austin P are correct, yep. Yeah, so I think four of the five FCS games, they've given up a first drive touchdown. To me, that's a little disturbing too because to start off the bat 7 nothing down, um, you know, you're always kind of working behind the eight ball. So, yes, I, I believe. Furman and Wofford, they did not, but – Wofford then scored oh, four sec- consecutive second. touchdowns yeah, yeah, after yeah. that. That is right, because they had the, the big hold. Um, yeah, right there. You're right. I did forget about that. But still, the early point, going back to really your first quarter, but it's the first couple drives, teams have been able to, to punch um, a score in. And it obviously just changes things. Now, Billy Taylor, you look at what the defense was able to do, really pass that with Austin P. pass that with Furman. You know, they were able to kind of gather themselves for Wofford for a majority of the the um, after the four straight scores, if you go and look at it, you know I think it was like five six straight possessions without giving up something before the late drive there in the game kind of put ETSU away and Chattanooga sort of the same thing. You know they scored early 
and then uh, held them to uh, you know probably four or five straight drives without a point. Then they got touchdown miss extra point, and then then really Chattanooga did a great job of just getting down the field. They just couldn't seem to get points on the board. To me, this game is obviously extremely important for both sides. To me, this season has not gone the way it could have for either team. I mean, you look at 17 points is between ETSU, and we've well chronicled this, from being 3-1 and one in the conference versus 0-4 um, in the conference. For Sanford, though, you look at those two overtime games, the margin for them is probably even more slim. And it was talked about in the Monday press conference by the players and Coach Sanders, the margin between winning and losing, the line between success and failure is so, so small in this conference. And both of these teams have found that out the hard way. I think there's a couple of places this game could change, and you can look at some statistics and see it very clearly. Third downs, ETSU is converting, converting just 33% of third downs. That's easily worse than the league, like 7% behind anybody else. Sanford is allowing 47% of third down conversions. That is easily worse than the league, like 5% worse than anybody else. So that heavily favors ETSU, but considering how bad they've been on third down, can they take advantage of that? And then penalties, half as much yardage has been penalized against Sanford this year as has against ETSU. ETSU is worse in the league in terms of most yards being penalized per game. Sanford is at right around half that, and they have the fewest penalty yards in the league. So making mistakes and hurting yourself. Sanford is doing a good job about being disciplined, and no surprise, right? ETSU is a young team. Young teams make these type of mistakes, so the fact that they've got nearly 70 yards per game in penalty yards, more than double what Sanford has, uh, I'm not surprised, but if they can just make sure to not beat themselves as badly as they have been, if Sanford makes a few more mistakes than they have been, and if on third downs, you can take advantage of a poor third down defense, and I talked with Chris Hatcher yesterday, and again, you and me have kind of talked about this, I don't think we're fooling any Anybody. We taped some of those interviews ahead of time for the pregame show. Chris Hatcher, he, I tried to give him credit for his defense. Time of possession has been way in favor of Sanford's opponents. Does your defense just get tired? Do you need to do some things better in terms of possessing the ball more because the numbers are so drastically um, one way in that category? And he said, you don't got to give us credit. We are just terrible on defense. Our third down defense is atrocious and we have to be better. So he didn't want any of the workarounds he didn't want any outs he just flat out said third down defense has been awful the defense has been bad we have to be better on that side of the ball the bucks need to be better on third downs this is a great chance to turn around that category this week and i think third downs i'm, I'm going i'm actually on the box score now where etsu back in 2016 had the upset 15 14 jj german the game winner there etsu was just six of 15 on third down compared to sanford two of 10 but Here's a stat I knew. I was off just to – I'm glad I looked up because I would have been off by a minute or two. ETSU held the ball for 43 minutes <laughs> and 47 seconds. Oh. Sanford had 16 minutes, barely a quarter's worth. And I think – I don't know if ETSU has to go 43 minutes, but if ETSU gets in the 40-minute category, and I know Sanford's kind of teetering on, the, on, on sort of averaging there, but I think for ETSU, if they could get in the 40 – 43-minute category. I think it's going to be a good day for the Bucks. And last year, Sanford outpossessed ETSU, and that is very rare for them. It was 31-23 to 28-37 in favor of Sanford. And the reason I asked Chris Hatcher the time of possession question, and you kind of knew it was coming. I don't care about those things. You know, and that's what he said. He said. We're not big into time of possession. What matters is the score. You're supposed to score points. That's our philosophy, and that's fine. But when you're talking, as it is this year, like 39 minutes to 21 minutes, that's not something where you can point to it and say, I don't care about it. 
Like, that's maybe 35-25 or 34-26. That is so far skewed one way, even more than they've been in the past. We talked about it on the show on Wednesday. Last year, I think it was, what, 34-26 or 33-27, something like that. That's reasonable. 39-21 to 21 is outrageous. That is insane. How they are running the ball more, and Chris Hatcher said in our interview that you'll hear on Saturday in the pregame show that starts at 1130, that they do look a lot different offensively than last year, considering that they are running the ball so much more. How does that number work? And he wouldn't answer it simply because he said, we don't care about those things. And, and he doesn't. He's, he's said that multiple times, multiple interviews throughout his career. He's only concerned with points and how much offense and passing yards he had. It's the hatch attack. He's got a whole website about it. It's a whole deal that that's his, his thing. He doesn't – and I don't want to say he doesn't care about winning. I mean, he's coaching. But, like, it, if you read some of his bio information, just go to Sanford's website. It talks all about his offensive accolades. There is zero about conference championships or zero – it is all about scoring points, total offense, leading the nation, leading the conference, leading this. They just want to lead everything. And – it does win games. It's clearly won games, but it has not gotten teams wherever he's been, the three or four stops at the head coach, gotten them to the playoffs. It's not gotten them championship rings anywhere. It's just that's his philosophy, and he truly, I think, doesn't care. I think he'd want it more than what they have this year. I mean, last year uh, or two years ago was even more anomaly. They had the ball, Sanford did, for 34 minutes, and ETSU only had it for 26. And that you can clearly see that's why it's a 42-7 Result uh, in that contest. Sanford beat ETSU last year yeah. as well. Yep. So the last two seasons, Sanford has really done a great job of hanging on to the football, where they generally don't care. And I, and I think you know he's one of the guys that, as long as the number, like you know, let's just say he has 10, 12 possessions, if it's more than fifty percent of those are scores, that's like a win to him, regardless what happens in the game. Like it's the craziest philosophy I've I've ever seen and read about, but. He just cares about that, and I, we'll see how it plays out. You know, they, they've had great teams, especially with Hodges, and you're thinking if they can't get to the playoffs with Devlin Hodges and almost beating Florida State and all those things last year, but they're starting to play better football, and ETSU clearly it has to be concerned about time of possession. And really to stop Sanford, the big thing is, is can you get multiple three and outs? And on multiple possessions because that throws off the offense even more because it's all timing, it's all speed, it's all quick, it's all, you know, it's like watching Oregon back in the day with Chip Kelly. They want to score two minutes or less. That's the other thing. Not only do they want to score as much as possible, but he finds it a loss if they've got to go like a five minute drop. Are we in agreement that the Bucks need to slow the game down this Saturday? And yes, no use space. Absolutely. Way Holmes and Jacob Sailors, and that's something they can do. I mean, Sanford's giving up the second most rushing yards in the league, two seventy-five per game. That's seventy more than VMI, who are seventh in the nine-team league in terms of most rushing yards allowed. Only Western has been worse in terms of rushing defense. So Quay Holmes, Jacob Sailors, if you can get Quay between the tackles, maybe get him on the edge for a sixty-three-yard type run that he had. But even if it's not that, even if it's four or five yards at a time, and making sure that you have the ball more. I mean, even when we look at, like you said, time of possession, it's no coincidence that ETSU outpossessed Sanford in 2016 by that margin and won. It's no coincidence that Sanford has outpossessed ETSU the last two times they played, and the Bulldogs have won those games. So if you can win the time of possession game and slow the game down and not let the offense get to a rhythm and do that with your running game, which is an area you can exploit clearly in the stats, we see that, that's a big coup for the Bucks. So that's that's option, and I'd say weapon number one is that rushing game and getting them off a of pace and getting the Bucks going. And Sanford's the one team that doesn't matter what the score is in the first half. 
It doesn't matter if they're up 28. You, they've got several games I could point you to that they've been up a lot. I think it was Citadel maybe two years ago. I want to say they were up 24 or 28 on Citadel a couple years ago. Citadel came back and won. We clearly have mentioned it earlier in the week about the Tennessee Tech game, what VMI was able to do. But it's also flip-flop because if you look at what ETSU was doing last year and what the score was going in the fourth quarter in the last few minutes, I mean, ETSU still up in the fourth quarter, and then all of a sudden Sanford got kind of rolling in late second half, and they put up 21 points late third, a couple of scores in the fourth quarter, and end up winning the contest 38-27. But even going in the fourth quarter, ETSU's up 27-24. And so Sanford doesn't need a lot to kind of get going. You know, they just – they need a couple things to flip it, and then all of a sudden the drives keep coming. Considering what Sanford did, or I should say what has been done to TTSU the last three games coming into the Sanford contest on the ground, talking about Furman, Wofford, and then Chattanooga, and less so Furman perhaps, but definitely Wofford and Chattanooga, I worry a bit about the run defense. Uh, Jay Stanton and Chris Oladokun are rushing for 6.5 and 4.9 per carry, respectively, where last year DeMarcus Ware, who was the number one back for Sanford, and Devlin Hodges had 4.9 and 3.5. So they're being a lot more efficient in the run game. They're obviously doing some things with Oladokun that maybe Hodges wasn't necessarily capable of. Oladokun maybe just, as you've talked about this week, smarter with the football and extending plays, knowing when to take off and getting those big gains. And Stanton just seems to um, have changed changed the efficiency of that running game and a lot of that has to do with the offensive line right coach Sanders said it on the coach's show with you on Wednesday huge I mean they are massive up front the tackles probably a bit quicker you know and so a bit smaller on each side of the line Nick Nixon the left tackle is 6'6 282 Gavin Orr is 6'4 275 but goodness are they beefy in the middle left guard Nate Lee 6'4 336 center Brandon Loftus Loftus excuse me 6'7 340 and right guard Mike Williams is six seven three ten, So they can block out the sun. I mean, these are some big guys right in the middle. Running behind them and knowing that Austin Rowan is someone that's just stepped into that role this year in terms of playing a lot, I'm guessing they're going to try to go right at him with a lot of their runs. And this will be a challenge for that front seven because not only Sanford improving and embracing that running game a little bit, but also because of the size of that offensive line. So it's – I think – in some way, you've got running games that both can have success. Um, now, Alim Ford and Wofford, you know, those two contests against DTSU may have been outliers. I trust this defense 100%. I will continue to do so regardless of what the win-loss says because I think they've done an excellent job again this year as they did last year. Uh, but this is about as tough as it gets in terms of facing size up front. And with the momentum, Sanford feels like they're carrying in with the run game and not strictly being a passing team this year. Um, while ETSU, I think, has the edge in the run game in terms of our backs versus their backs, I think it still will be tough for that defense to stop Stanton and Oladokun. It, it'll be very difficult. He he creates a lot of problems. He do some quarterback draws with him that, that maybe they didn't do with Hodges. But to me, he's so dangerous when he gets outside the pocket. He looks down the field to throw first, and then as he approaches the line of scrimmage, then he'll tuck and run. A lot of quarterbacks do one or the other. They either scramble and kind of wait and wait and wait and throw the ball, or once they get outside the pocket, they tuck and run. Very few 
kind of do both. They're attacking the line of scrimmage, head down the field, eyes down the field, arm ready to throw the football, and will throw the football. And as soon as they get to the line of scrimmage, they take off and run. To me, that's so hard because it's easy to tell a defensive back, hey, stay with your guy, stay with your guy. You see a quarterback come running downhill on you, right? And I don't care how much you practice it. Every once in a while, you see it all the time. Man, he's running. I got to go get him. And he just lobs one over your head for an easy completion for, you know, 10, 15, 20 yards down the field. So I think that's one area that concerns me about the ETSU defense trying to sort of see what they can do with Oladoka now in the past they've just really rushed three kind of dropped eight in coverage and try to limit the damage now that Sanford's running the ball a little more it's a little more difficult I think for ETSU to do that the one advantage I think ETSU has is it's one of the few teams that's turned the ball over more than ETSU 14 turnovers they're minus nine. I think only Mercer is worse in league action uh, at minus 10. But minus nine, 14 turnovers, that's a guaranteed two a game. So there'll be opportunities, I think, for ETSU to make a play. And last game was the first time since mid-October last year that ETSU went a game without turning the football over. One thing, and this is the last one I have on this matchup before we talk with Kurt Bloom, but Kelvin McKnight's not a guy that we mentioned all week long. Last year, probably the best receiver in the league, of course, gone this year and really the numbers were absurd 100 catches nearly 1500 yards and so that left a big hole but Montreal Washington is someone this year that's doing an excellent job in all phases of the game he leads the team in all purpose yards for Sanford by like 50 yards per game and then Chris Schelling's been more of a possession receiver he leads the team in catches I'm gonna ask Kurt Bloom coming up um, what kind of hole McKnight left obviously you can't duplicate those kind of numbers those are special numbers and a special season for Calvin McKnight who I think along with Bryce Nunley probably the two best receivers in the league last year um, so McKnight gone but there are some guys that are doing a few things Washington more of a big play threat while Schelling's the guy that makes a lot of the underneath catches gets the hard yards so definitely some more questions about him and the hole that he left coming up all right speaking of Kurt Bloom that's a good segue we're going to talk to Kurt Bloom the ESPN3 voice ESPN plus voice of the Sanford Bulldogs down in Birmingham so we'll get his thoughts on this matchup and the Bulldogs in general after this time out to Urban Sanders and Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network over the last 70 years Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on now we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. and the sign kick back with you on this Friday as we start to get you set up for Saturday's tilt in Birmingham, Alabama. ETSU on the road taking on the Bulldogs as Sanford. We previewed it last segment, the game. Now we told you as we went to break, we would talk to the ESPN broadcaster that will bring you the play-by-play action. has been in Birmingham for a long time. Certainly has his finger on the pulse there. And he's been doing Sanford games for quite some time, so he's very familiar with the program, Coach Hatcher, and, of course, that high-tempo offense. So, Kurt Bloom, uh, we appreciate you taking the time today to chat a little Sanford Southern Conference football with us. Well, thanks for having me. And um, when it comes time to getting my new agent, uh, I've got you guys at the top of the list there to represent me after that beautiful introduction. I mean, I, 
I, I feel like I'm important. I feel like I'm a somebody. I thought you were going to say that you were looking for money from us when you got an agent. I was going to be like, oh, the buck stops there, I think, Kurt. <laughs> yeah, we, we got to uh, get the gig first. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, and, I mean, we can always talk percentages, Kurt. I mean, we can be That's bought. In this. Yeah, sure. So, Kurt, let's talk about it. Obviously, you look at Sanford. The first thing I think it comes to mind, even if people weren't familiar with the program, they, um, you know, they certainly watch a lot of football. If they watch the NFL, they've heard a lot about Devlin Hodges. Of course, if you're in the league, you knew everything he meant, but – those are obviously huge shoes to fill, and I don't know that anybody could do exactly what he's done, but they still seems like they haven't missed a whole lot of beat as far as scoring power with Chris Oladokun in there. When you look at Chris Hatcher's numbers, guys, um, the Sanford University Bulldogs have scored more points in the Chris Hatcher era than any other era, and that includes both Bowdens. So... It's not like you and I could quarterback and we'd put up 30 points, but I think you make a very astute point is the fact that losing Hodges, you're thinking, well, there it goes. We're going to score seven points a game. Uh, but they gained uh, a guy who's a little seasoned in uh, Chris Olatokin, uh transferred from South Florida, and his dimension is completely different. And the dimension is that he uses his legs and they call a lot of run plays for him, uh, things that they didn't do for, for Hodges. Uh, and I just got done uh, not too long ago with the Sanford coaches and got their angle on it. They actually said they thought they put a little bit too much on Chris in the first half of the year uh, and, and not worried about replacing Hodges because, because you can't do that. But they put too much running plays in there, and uh, they don't want to take away his throwing completion and his percentage and the other things that he's talented. But let, let me just mention this. A talented guy, very, very athletic just a different type of talent than Hodges was. The one thing I'm impressed by uh, Oladokun is, and they do run a lot more quarterback draws and, and stuff that to get him running, but when he gets out of the pocket, it's not like he's Tyree Adams or, or a couple other dual-threat quarterbacks we've seen in the league where it's immediate tuck the ball and run. He's still looking downfield to make a play, and if he happens to get to the line of scrimmage, then he tucks and runs. To me, that's what's been impressive to him because you stick a defender and what do you do? Because a lot of quarterbacks are like, okay, they've already kind of tucked it. They're outside the pocket. They're going to try to run. We can come up and make a play. But with him, I've seen him keep his eyes down the field and still complete passes where guys sort of given up on the pass. Well, there's two things, two ways to answer that. One is the fact that the player himself has got to have that innate ability to do that, and Oladokun does. And the second thing is you learn more you learn more and more about a Chris Hatcher offense, and you realize that in his career he has now coached quarterbacks such as Dante Culpepper, Tim Couch, and Devlin Hodges. So he has been around big-name guys before. I'm convinced that Coach Hatcher easily could be an OC at a Big Five school. Uh, he could take over a program, a, a pretty good program as well. Um He's enjoying being the head coach at Sanford University. He doesn't say or hint or talk about it, but, uh, you know, you've got the right guy in Oladokun, and you certainly got the right teachers in Coach Hatcher and Russ Calloway, the OC. 
Mike here, Kurt, and I'm wondering how much of Sanford going away from the pass, pass, pass is Devlin Hodges being gone, going more towards the run this year. How much of that is Kelvin McKnight also being gone? Obviously, last year put up incredible numbers, 100 catches, nearly 1,500 yards. I feel like it's kind of on both ends, and obviously having Ola Doken helps a little bit at quarterback where Devlin Hodges was maybe more of a uh, scramble when necessary. Ola Doken can do a bit more, but certainly seems to be more run heavy. Chris Hatcher said as much earlier when we talked with him in the week for our pregame show. So how much is it Hodges being gone versus McKnight being gone? Uh, Mike, you know, of all the interviews that I have done talking about the Sanford program this year, you are the first one to connect the dots like that. So we're sending you a free uh, barbecue lunch uh, courtesy of Jim and Nick. Oh, I um, love food. Fantastic. But if, <laughs> but if, if, you, uh, if, you ask, if you ask Chris Hatcher, and, and, and it's more important that his answer than mine, but you are 1,000% correct, and that is right now made a huge difference. We talked a lot inside meetings and inside our pregames about that Duck had that valve, that safety valve. Okay, I'm in trouble. Look for McKnight. McKnight makes a, a, a play. He was a shorter guy, but he played as if he was 6'3", 6'4". That person that type of guy is not on the field this year so it's different Oladokun doesn't have that weaponry and the three wide receivers although they're good Kelvin McKnight remember he went to uh, Broncos minicamp and uh, this guy is a uh, you know a borderline NFL player and he was it was a safety valve an incredible asset for Hodges and when you talk to Hodges he'll tell you that he could have done it without Kelvin uh, and, and vice versa. So a, a great point, valid point, uh, and I think to answer the question now, they're missed, they're missed equally. It, it, you can't just be the quarterback and say, well, the, the program's not winning or they haven't done as much because uh, it was a guy catching the balls, and more often than night, McKnight had these eight for 136 and three touchdown games, and uh, a lot of his stuff was in traffic. And remember, because he was so good and drew a lot of attention, usually drew the best secondary guy that left a couple of the other guys open on single coverage like Chris Schelling who's back Robert Adams who's back uh, Kendall Watson Jai Creamer so their numbers were better because they didn't see double coverage talking defensively now Ahmad Gooden is the one that draws the attention for big losses on the defensive side Aaron Harris is somebody that stood out to me when I looked at the stat sheet from last year 94 tackles almost double what Gooden did now obviously different players Gooden maybe more a bit disruptive in the passing game where Harris more just around the ball when you're talking past the line of scrimmage in terms of Gooden and Harris being gone anyone that's been able to step up and fill those shoes certainly looks like John Statton is having a very good year Yes, he is. John Staten's having a very good year. Um, one of the conference leading tacklers, one of the nation's leading tacklers. Uh, in the Sanford system, uh, the front seven are interchangeable year to year to year to year to year, game to game to game to game. And that's a credit to Bill D'Otavio, the D.C., and the athletes and the type of uh, uh, program that they would run. So where Staten was just an afterthought last year, but he still played. So I can name three or four guys this year that are backups that we'll be talking a lot about next year. Uh, and even, in a sense, Ahmad Gooden on the line, and Amar, uh, Armand Lloyd was his primary backup, and he's now a starter making plays. Brett Granger uh, was a backup. But the way that the defense runs 
the, the, these, it, it's like a, uh, it'd be easier to have uh, a turnstile on the sidelines because guys are in and out all the time. It's two in, two out, three in, three out. Uh, so that keeps guys fresh, keeps them healthy, and it, it makes sure that you never had a really a lack of talent in a sense because someone is on the field, maybe experience is a better word, somebody is on that field who's played downs before in this conference and at this level. Last one for me, Curtin. I think that Jay has a couple more for you. Sanford hasn't really started or finished games well, it seems. Minus 64 in the first and fourth quarters combined. But in between, they've been very good, specifically out of the halftime locker room. What are they doing in those second and third quarters that seems so different from the first and fourth, if you can put your finger on something? I got to go go more towards looking at these overtime games. Uh, A four, a two, and a one – and I think your numbers would be skewed if those were wins. Automatically, they were wins, and it would skew your numbers. So a lot of them happen later on in the game. Look, the Sanford offense, guys, and you've watched this offense uh, with Chris Hatcher for five-plus years now, it's built on pace, rhythm, tempo, timing passes, and sometimes it takes a full quarter. Now, you've also replaced an All-American and NFL quarterback and an All-American and NFL backup wide receiver, okay? So that means it takes Chris Oladokun and these receivers downs and series to get on the same page, and by the time that happens, if you're playing some of the good clubs, a Furman club that's really good, uh, Wofford Citadel, they'll run you to death. They've had the ball for 10 minutes. They're up 7 nothing, 14 nothing, before you get a chance to get your hands on the ball and before you get the key word would be rhythm or the other word is tempo. Same thing, rhythm and tempo. You look at it, and we're talking to Kurt Bloom who's going to handle the play-by-play call for the folks that watch the TV broadcast of the contest, the streaming TV broadcast of ETSU and Sanford. And, Kurt, you look at it, and Tom Possession, I've heard Coach Hatcher a lot. He, he could care less about it. It's, it's one thing he – you know, he's more concerned about the percentage of scores to the possessions they have, uh, so he could care less about it. But when you look at it, the last three, four years, you know, they were at least, uh, you know, 25 or more, 26, 27 minutes. They're down to under 22 minutes time of possession. I know they're still scoring a lot of points, but you'd have to think some that still, even though he, he may not uh, – say he wants more time possession but don't you feel like they need just a few more? and they don't need a lot but if you get four more or about four more minutes of possessions that could be three extra possessions to get things going for that Sanford offense and I asked this rhetorically don't you think the other coaches that are lining up against uh, coach Hatcher and Sanford know that as well so you know what they do they'll run it a little bit more and they will try to hold on to that ball a little bit more than against a typical team. And you got to look the numbers up for me, but the Citadel set an F- FCS record of, I believe, 92 rushing attempts. I mean, it, it just – when, when the game was over, like, oh, my – the game took well over four hours. 95, so, but that is a lot. 95. <laughs> there you go. All right, just now, and I like to divide things by quarters. You're looking at you're looking at 25 rush attempts a quarter. Okay, I mean that you're you're just chewing up time, and there's you can't get the ball. Um, and guess who won the game? Sanford did. Uh, so 
you know, Coach knows. I don't think that Coach Hatcher, maybe, you know, maybe some of his teams, but primarily his teams, he knows with the air raid offense that he's going to lose time of the lose the time of the possession game. Now, because of the running game improving, and and you can't run if you don't have a running game and if you don't have the the right guys to do it. But the running game has gotten better this year, and there's a a, a freshman. Uh, Jay Stanton, who's been a part of it, and he adds a different dimension. So that should over, maybe not this year, because they're still learning Oladokun, and they're still learning the wide receivers are learning the quarterback. But over the next couple of years, I think that will tilt a little bit. Not a lot, not dramatically, because an air raid offense, you just you want to do whatever you can do in two minutes or less. Um, and then you go up against uh, a lot of these formations that are, again, the Citadels and the Waffords of the world, uh, Furman, uh, their goal is to run, uh, take 10, 11 minutes off the clock if they can every drive. And, and believe me, I've talked to every one of those coaches coming into a Saturday game, and they said, hey, the best thing we can do is keep Oladokun, and prior to that, keep Hodges off the field. That's how we're going to win the game. Turnovers have been something I think uh, that obviously come with that type of attack too, but at an alarming rate this year, right, 14 turnovers in seven games. What does Coach Hatcher and the offense try to do to try to limit some of those mistakes? Yeah, I'm going to turn that around for a moment. Our defensive coordinator is more concerned about not creating enough turnovers. Um, now we'll go back to your, your point. There's not a coach that I've ever been with that doesn't stress that practice after practice, game after game. You know, we always talk about, you know, ball possession and not turning the ball over. Well, that, that, that's broadcasters and media relations and radio and TV guys. But we take it for granted. It's not like there's, there's never been a coach that, that hasn't talked ad nauseum. That's all they talk about is winning the turnover battle. But it's a, it, it becomes a mental thing. Um, and I think Chris could take uh, Oladokun takes uh, uh, some risks with his with his feet uh, that that can cause problems. I mean, there uh, of, of his fumbles, two of them I can remember directly uh, were right after he had actually rushed for a first down. So he gets the first down, and then for whatever either the hit or the the contact ball got loose, turnover created. You're going the other way. So that I mean that's really a rally and a momentum change instantly just like that last question uh weather looks a little dicey down in birmingham on saturday about 80 percent chance of rain or at least last time i looked at it hold How, the lightning kurt please yeah. no more lightning we've we've had a couple of those already but matter of fact we ended a game at 108 a.m this year so far so hopefully wow. we don't have any of that now we are starting earlier so surely we wouldn't end one there but, Kurt, how does uh, weather affect that type of offense if it is a rain and a heavy type rain well, I, again, just coming out of the coaches' meeting, so I sound a lot smarter than I really am. Uh, first of all, the turf that they have, that artificial turf, this is no longer mud, uh, slop bowl, or anything along those lines. I had asked both coordinators if they would alter their plan, and neither one of them said anything. And they, basically, their lesson is this. You set your, your pre-snap set, your, your balance is a key word, your footing is a key word, your footwork is a key word. Uh, those things are all important, and at the end of the day, uh, if it's not lightning, you still run your plays. You still what you you know do what you have to do. Um, and you know, football. I, I'm associated with baseball. Weather is everything. It's so less of a factor in football. But the Sanford 
uh, turf is very, very good. It will suck up a lot of rain. It, it is right now, tomorrow, Friday here, um, is supposed to be actually a little bit worse than Saturday. I think Saturday will have uh, hits and misses. There could be some hard rain at times, and because we're playing early, the rain might come a little bit later on in the game. But speaking with both coordinators and the head coach, there'll be no adjustments because as long as they get ready, they get in position prior to the snap, that gives them a chance to succeed. And after this report, I'm going to be applying to all the greater Eastern Tennessee and Birmingham meteorologist uh, departments to see if I can get a part-time weekend gig. <laughs> Hired. <laughs> all right, Kurt, listen. Hey, we appreciate the time. I look forward to seeing you on Saturday, my friend. Uh, I me the same. It's always a pleasure. Anything I can do for you guys, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak. Uh, about our program and what we do and just in general. So have a wonderful trip down, and we'll see you on the field Saturday. All right, it's Kurt Bloom, play-by-play man, ESPN call, ETSU in Sanford this weekend. We'll step aside for a timeout. Austin Herrick on the other side talking to Mike Gallagher. This is Sandoz Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Cake. Beer. Cake. Beer. Quality. 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 Soon to be. Continental MVP. Cake. Cake. A slice of cake. Cake. Beer. Beer. Um, yeah. It's Twitter God Austin Herrick, and in the open you hear that he was nearly a Continental MVP. Not soon to be anymore. He was nearly a Continental MVP. And from what I understand, the Vienna Vikings have a new quarterback. Your thoughts? Yeah, you know, they moved on pretty quick, but it looks like they got a good player, and uh, I'm happily here in Johnson City, Tennessee. You know, uh, I still love them because they like our tweets. So I, I hate to side with the Vienna Vikings, but go whoever that new quarterback is. Yeah, go Vikings. Go Vikings. Bleed purple. See, and to, to me, this is great, too, because I'm from Minnesota. The Vienna Vikings logo is shockingly similar to the Minnesota Vikings logo. Uh, go Vikings. I hear out of your mouth, I'm thinking, yes, Kirk Cousins, yes. The Vikings 3-0 and in their last three. Kirk Cousins showing that he is a fantastic quarterback. Vikings Super Bowl bound. Uh, perhaps Vienna Vikings without you going to win the European uh, championship as well, the European Super Bowl, whatever it is. Everything's coming up purple for me, though it does seem like it's been a rough week for you with uh, your picture coming down to the halls of ETSU. Clearly, they have not remembered uh, where they came from, though, to be fair, that happens with every sport because they want to keep things fresh with current athletes, so don't take too much offense. And also now, the Vienna Vikings finding a new quarterback. Uh, you can cry on my shoulder if you want after the show. Yeah, how quickly they forget, you know? No, I mean, like you said, it happens. But, but yeah, you know, the... Uh, the Vikings are three and zero the last few weeks with Kirk Cousins. So, you know, got a 
I represent for the team up north. I feel that. See, yeah. this is this is why you're on the show. I, I love these kind of conversations. Uh, Twitter God, we mentioned last time on Santos and the Sidekick here on the Buccaneer Sports Network. We were live from Wild One Cafe. Austin was able to escape the swarms and mobs of people trying to stop him from leaving Wild Wing, had him sneak out a back exit. Everything went fine. Thankfully, he's here again today after having last week off to collect his thoughts, go to the hospital, try and get everything back right from being beaten uh, and fawned over by those mobs. So I'm happy to see that you're in one piece still. But at that segment at Wild Wing Live on location. We did the first of what I hope is an every week segment where we look back on Twitter just by Googling your name, Austin Herrick, and you can find some just incredible tweets. I went all the way back to 2013 this week and at Annie T. Hobbs. Do you know uh, who that is? Oh, I know what's coming up. <laughs> you, Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. And I was going to say, you better not say that you don't know what's going on because of the 13 likes to the tweet, I swear Austin Herrick is Jake Gyllenhaal. You were one of the people that liked it, and you were never on Twitter. Maybe you were more on back in the day. Uh, you are never on Twitter these days, and I know because I've at mentioned you like 40 times for the Buccaneer Sports Network account, and either you're just ignoring me or you never go on. Okay. Do you yeah. have a comment on that yeah, part of it, I, firstly? I, <laughs> is it just I, me, or is it all of Twitter? I definitely have a comment on that. Normally, I don't like to retweet or like things about me just because I— I don't know. I don't want to seem to be, you know, self-absorbed or anything. But yeah, I will say not self-absorbed this. to say that, that you were Jake. Yeah, oh no, right. just let, let me finish. Here we go. So uh, I did appreciate that. I thought, you know what? I, I've gotten that before. I don't know that it's true necessarily, but Jake is a good-looking guy, and if someone thinks I look like Jake Gyllenhaal, then you know. I appreciate it. So I had to show him some love. I'm going to change the open to Jake Beer, Jake Beer, rather than Cake Beer from now on, <laughs> since you clearly think that Jake Gyllenhaal is a good-looking guy. What do you think? Like do you. I look like Jake? <laughs> Not even close. Not even close? I mean, the talent isn't there and the looks aren't there. I don't know how to break it that, down. That's fair. You know, I just uh, it's just been a rough week for me. <laughs> so that, we'll just throw that one on top of the And, and look at me stuff. tearing you down more. I'm a terrible person. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, there was another one that built off the Jake Gyllenhaal uh, at Crush Cleveland. Cleveland crushes on Twitter. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Quote, I'd love to break off a piece of Austin Herrick quarterback booty. That got one retweet and nine likes. Now, you're not someone that liked that tweet, but that is very graphic and upfront to me. Right. You know, that. that's why I didn't like it. It, it wasn't, uh, what's it, not safe for work or whatever. So, yeah, I, I wasn't really going to support that one. I do remember the context with that. Um, it's one of these things in high school Someone made a, a Twitter account that talked about people throughout the, the three schools in our town. And um, we never figured out who made the account. Um, but obviously, they wanted to break off a piece of my body. So, um, yeah, that, that was interesting. So, no favorite from me. <laughs> no favorite from you. Uh, you like a little bit more subtlety to your tweets, clearly. That yeah, was, no doubt. Yeah, That was very much in your <laughs> face or uh, on your booty, uh, shall we say. Um, <laughs> let's talk about Will Huzzy because... Obviously, his catch against Chattanooga, ridiculous. Uh, I mean, I, I put it as on the Thursday, 3.23 a.m. show that we did after Jay got back from Chattanooga, uh, the FCS Odell Beckham Jr. catch. Uh, yeah. To me, that was so similar to Odell, uh, arm over the head, ball basically passed you, grabbing it with one hand, landing on your back. Uh, it was unbelievable. But instantly what I thought of was your comments to me, mostly off-air, once in a while, I think it's been mentioned on air, but basically, you've said that this has always been possible. You've seen it plenty of times before. When he was in practice, you were often 
uh, left slack jawed, you look at him and say, I, this is incredible what he's able to do. Uh, just a phenomenal talent that for whatever reason hasn't been able to transfer things over to the game. Any thoughts on why that has been, why it suddenly showed up on Thursday, and just whether you were surprised or if you just gave an old shake of the hand to your other quality control coaches on offense? No, I, I was definitely excited in the booth. I got to see, I like stood up, and it was just a really cool moment. Um, but yeah, sh- quick shout out to you, you know, Team Grit, getting there so early to do the show. You know, that's respect. To be fair, I was still in the studio, hadn't left, because it takes like four hours to wrap up a football there you broadcast. Go. It was no doubt. Team Grit, the, the Grit Award of the Week. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> but no, yeah, Will, last year, I can remember. Um, on Thursday specifically, we throw fades, and uh, the fact that he could go up and get nearly any ball, and he had so much range, and he was a, such a big guy. Uh, quarterbacks love throwing to guys who it's tough to miss to, and, and Will's one of those guys. Um, you know, in terms of him translating that to this season and how it's kind of taken longer than some have anticipated, I, I really don't have a good answer for you there other than, you know, the light clicks for some people at different times. I think uh, Will was able to build off that catch and kind of get some confidence. He made some catches for us later in the game. I think he had six total catches uh, on the night. So uh, hopefully that continues to build. Hopefully kind of like Odell, not to wear out that comparison, but um, that kind of shot his career into a whole nother level in terms of him taking off and making plays with the ball in his hands. And Will certainly has a lot of talent. Um, you can go back and look at his high school tape and, and see that. So, um, yeah, I look forward to, to Huzzy continuing to build off that performance. And, um, yeah, what an amazing play. I mean, number one on SportsCenter Top 10. I don't know that that's ever happened at ETSU. So, apparently, and I talked with Jay about this on Wednesday during the show, apparently, basketball-wise, it has happened a couple of times. Jay couldn't remember off the top of his head which plays those were. He also did say that when ETSU in iteration one of football played their last game and won on that had a walk-off field goal, uh, that was on the top 10. Well, he wasn't sure if it was number one or not. So it's been at least 16 years, which obviously is quite the impressive feat. I'm wondering if anyone has ever made a catch for you like that in practice or a game. In your life. I'm not talking about just DTSU. Where's Kobe Kelly? Did Kobe Kelly ever make a catch like that? Kobe was the guy. He, he would make catches and get hit really hard. And so... <laughs> So, Speaking yeah, of team grit, he was the gritty guy, not yeah, the flashy he, guy. He was a big grit guy. you got to respect the grit guys. But, um, yeah, I, I'm sure there was. I mean, I wasn't the, the most accurate quarterback by any means. Well, he gave um, guys chances, that means. I mean, that's that's good for them. That means they should be making those catches. Yeah, um, I'm sure I had a few in high school, too. You know, I, I had some really good receivers in high school. Um, but at, at ETSU, there's nothing that really comes to mind. I think Chad Pritchard had a catch. Um, at Charleston Southern in 2015, um, kind of laid out on the sideline for me. So, but I mean, Will's play was number one on top ten. So, uh, I don't know if it was in that realm. But yeah, that's a pretty good catch by Chad. So you're saying your receivers basically let you down all the time in your crew? Yeah, I just my back still hurts from just carrying them so much, <laughs> you know, throughout my time. What's the closest you've ever come to the Sports Center top ten? Hmm. Can you think of a play or multiple plays that would have gotten you there? I'm trying to think. Um, I don't know. Your finest moment, 
aside from obviously the championship and the Furman game, like there's some those aren't really moments Best necessarily. Play. Those are kind of extended comebacks and over a period of a couple months with the championship obviously coming back and which was an unbelievable accomplishment and something that will live in lore, I guess not in the hallways because your picture isn't there anymore, but yeah. we'll live in the record books at least for a long time in the minds of ETSU fans, but uh, a moment, and that's something that in, coming from Minnesota, we always talked about there were no moments in Minnesota sports. Yeah, there were a couple of nice seasons, but no moments. I imagine Austin Herrick had a moment or two. I feel like not to compare myself to Tom Brady, but like there, <laughs> please do. But but please. I was just thinking about that's what this. the show's been missing. No, but I to his he had a Vinatieri. I had JJ German. So we had a lot of games, especially in 2016. It came down to the end, and we kicked a field goal to win. Um, and so I, I don't remember one specific play that was just crazy and that was a top-10 play, but rather just maybe some drives and some cool plays within those drives that set up um, you know, the big moment, so to speak. Um, I remember a touchdown in the first, reg- or first overtime at Kennesaw where I ran. Um, thought I ran a lot faster than I did. I was kind of picturing Vince Young, national championship, um, but I looked more like uh, Jared Lorenzen, but but slower. So, um, yeah, at, I don't know one play, but um, I'm sure there's some drives in there that I made some decent plays on. You're probably thinking Keith Jackson, Vince Young, core of the end zone. It was actually, uh, it would have been Jay Sandos and uh, right. like pylon rather than corner for like a midseason win rather than a national championship. Uh, it was to start the season oh, off. Start yeah, the season. yeah okay. it, it was the kickoff game. There was know? no stopping you then. Oh, uh, no doubt. You know, I was fresh legs coming off the summer, had a nice tan going on. So, <laughs> so you know, you know, you had to get an Instagram pick after that game. I think there's one, if you want to go back through Instagram, I think there's a tagged photo of that game. I learned so. so much about you on these chats. I think a top <laughs> 10 moment in Santos and the Sidekick history, maybe not Sports Center top 10, but in Santos and the Sidekick history is you comparing yourself to Tom Brady. It's going up in the uh, echelon, the upper echelon, and uh, the, the aura of this show has changed forever with that comparison. It's, uh, to quote Talladega Nights, I, I did say uh, beforehand, I, I gave a little preface there. So in the, it's in the Geneva Convention that if you say not to compare myself to someone, oh, it's the th- Geneva Convention. Th- then now. you're not. Okay. Then you're not comparing. I, I didn't realize we were operating in war times here. Yeah. Well, well, that's that's the that's the nod to Talladega Nights. That's what he says. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it's, if you say with all due respect, it's in the Geneva Convention. Mm-hmm. Then whatever you say. Well, with yeah. all due respect, you're not time Brady. I know. Okay. I know. No doubt. Just no no sure. Super Bowl rings here. I just have one. Uh, hey, you have a championship. Yeah, a shared championship. You have a championship. Tom Brady Boston doesn't share championships. He has his own? Yeah, he, he has them all by himself, oh, except one that he does share um, with the University of Nebraska, 1997. Bet you didn't know that. The more you know. <laughs> All right, I need to, I need to uh, move on from this line of questioning. Uh, Devlin <laughs> Hodges leading the Steelers to a win. I believe it was last Sunday night, two Sundays ago. Two would have been um, two Sundays ago, I think. Not I, Sunday, but the Sunday before. Right. Uh, Devlin Hodges, this is Sanford week for ETSU. You played against Devlin Hodges a number of times. Of course, for those not familiar, all-time leading passer in FCS history. Set that against ETSU last year, breaking Steve McNair's record that was long-standing, must have been 20 or so years, 25 years, whatever it may have been. Uh, Alcorn State, I believe, if that uh, memory yes, serves. Yes, uh, So, Devlin Hodges, I'm sure you know him very well. You are a great quarterback mind, maybe not on the field, but certainly in the people that you know. Um, you gave me a look on that. Was that too far? Is that where the line is? Okay. Well, well, you're that, a great quarterback so, mind so overall. You get, to, you get to compliment me, but when I compliment myself, you know, we get some – 
side eyes from well, you. Well, that was a veiled compliment at best, <laughs> I think. Anyway. You uh, called me Brett Favre a few weeks ago. Well, yeah. To be fair, that was Twitter. And again, you are a Twitter god, which is why that Brett Favre comparison <laughs> came up. Uh, and that also is going to lead into next week's, uh, this segment on Santos and the Psychic next week, where there are some things that you have done on Twitter that have been documented by others that will come up next week. So you have that to look forward to. Anyway. I'm sure it has something to do with a snowball. I got to find that. I don't know what. Okay, that's going to send me on a search. Anyway, Devlin Hodges, you played against him. You saw him play up close. You obviously know what it takes to be a good quarterback. You have been around great quarterbacks, those succeeding at very high levels and those that are in the NFL. You look at Devlin Hodges. He sets the record. Unfortunately, beat the Bucs last year for the outright Southern Conference Championship. Still going to share the title. They don't make the playoffs. CTSU does. Having seen him as much as you have in your career, did you see him winning an NFL game? Um, to be honest, I didn't see that happening. I mean, that's a that's a tall task, and I know Devlin's a great player, um, and the offense he was in was just outstanding. I I used to just sit on the sideline and admire, you know, how they went about it, how he ran that offense. Um, it's just a fun brand of football to watch. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I always thought Devlin was a heck of a player. I went to uh, several camps with him in high school and. Not that we were friends or anything, but we certainly knew of each other. Um, and so, yeah, to see him go out there and play in the NFL, it was super cool. And to see the way he did was uh, even cooler. So um, just to kind of, you know, have a very small part in playing against him and all of that, um, it was cool to be able to see someone that you competed that close with um, on that stage. And, you know, he, he won a game for the Pittsburgh Steelers. There's not many guys who can say they've done that. So, um, you know, it, I think it was good for the SoCon, good for Samford, and um, it, it was cool to watch from afar. Where does he rank in the pantheon of quarterbacks that you played against or with at camps? In games, at camps, That's, is he top three, top five? I is don't he number know, one? I don't know. I mean, I played at, at camps. I've played against Deshaun Watson, um, Dwayne Haskins, obviously, a few times. Um, I'm trying to think. There's been a few more. Justin Fields. Um, who else? Kyle Allen. Um, yeah, there's been a few. But he's up there. I mean, def- played against in a game. Uh, I'd probably have to go with Devlin, yeah. Kyle Allen or Devlin Hodges, who do you take? Ooh, that's tough. I, because probably, Kyle Allen is not doing anything necessarily spectacular on the field. He's winning games. Same yeah. with Devlin Hodges in that win against the Chargers. Yeah. Um, I guess you have to go with Kyle because he's done it more than once. Um, but And he came out of high school. He was in my class. He was the number one overall quarterback. Wow. Uh, pro style. So, uh, yeah, I, I think Kyle's super talented. So is Devlin. He but, was no dual threat quarterback, though. Yeah, he's no... He's no uh, what did I, was it like no Austin Herrick yeah no no guy who compares himself to Tom Brady you know <laughs> so no but I, I probably Kyle there yeah all right this week Sanford I don't want to talk anything about last week with Chattanooga uh, obviously yeah. um, seemed to resemble in a couple of ways maybe your last game in 2017 there just in the sense of the low scoring. A um, couple chances that were there for ETSU, couldn't quite get it done, whatever the case may be. Let's speed past that. Sanford, this week, Hodge is gone. Chris Oladokun has come in from South Florida. This is his first year with Sanford, and obviously talented if he's coming in from South Florida. Um, you look at the numbers, and he almost resembles like a dual-threat type guy. Uh, now, Jay's watched some tape and said, ah, I might limit the conversation on dual-threat, 
Can he run a bit? Sure. Uh, Sanford as a whole seeming like they can run a bit more. Maybe Oladokun isn't someone that'll take off right away and is a true quote-unquote dual threat quarterback, but someone that can run. Maybe um, if you want to compare him to someone. I always thought Aaron Rodgers was a bit of a dual threat quarterback because he was fast, wouldn't necessarily look to run first, so maybe that's a comparison. Obviously, very Aaron rodgers light. Chris Oladokun is <laughs> not some, Aaron Rodgers. some like aggressive takes. Just like Austin Herrick is not Tom Brady. This but is I'm, aggressive takes. But I'm just trying to compare you know, someone that right. may sit in the pocket. He can extend the play. Maybe, yeah, and get outside the pocket and maybe not look to run first, but if he's forced into running, can run. So you've got Oladokun. You've got a running game that's much more active this year. Uh, I believe Schelling is their best receiver this season. They've had a couple of really weird games where – they're up by 16 against Tennessee Tech with under two minutes to go. Somehow that game gets to overtime, and Tennessee Tech throws for a two-point conversion in the second overtime to win 59-58. Then they win a four-overtime game against Citadel, 61-55, and then their most recent overtime game, in fact, the last time out before their bye, VMI, 48-41. to Grant Clemens, who's certainly had his ups and downs kicking the football in his time at VMI, 56 yards to send the game to overtime. And once they're Alex Ramsey, his, I believe that was 17th rushing touchdown of the year. Crazy. He's darn near 20 on the season so far. So uh, 48 to 41, uh, Sanford loses. So one and two in overtime games, but very easily, just like the Bucks could very easily be five and two overall in the year. So to Sanford, um, preparations for them. You've had a couple extra days. What does it look like? Yeah, obviously, um, the quarterback can definitely extend the play. He can run. I don't know that he's as dynamic a thrower as, as Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I know. Yeah, as Aaron Rodgers, no doubt. That was very aggressive. And you didn't even say, like, not trying to compare him to. So you didn't even get the Geneva Convention involved. Um, but anyway, he's a really good player. Obviously, came from South Florida and presents a lot of challenges for our defense. They're going to score points and they're going to throw the ball. And and rack up a lot of yards it's just kind of managing that and offensively taking advantage of their three and outs you know they, they throw the ball so much that there there is going to be three and outs they're not always going to be long sustaining drives like maybe you'd see Wofford and Citadel and Furman so that's kind of the negative of that offense so how do we respond to that how can we take advantage of that I think offensively um you know, we, we found a spark last week kind of with Huzzy making that big play. So can we replicate that? Can we get more of those down-the-field plays? Can we sustain drives? You know, the uh, the one of those drives we had, I think it was like 14 plays. How many more drives can we put together like that to keep their offense off the field and get our defense some rest? So, um, yeah, that that's kind of the thoughts going into it. This is a big game for us. You know, kind of the momentum – hasn't been heading in the right direction kind of the way the last few games have have finished so can we bounce back I've been saying every week that I've been on here how this team's got to figure out how to win those close games and um, we've been in so many of them that eventually the tide's going to start turning um, it's good to build up these experiences obviously you'd like to win obviously it'd be a lot better to be sitting here at five and two as opposed to where we're sitting but um, you know Everything happens for a reason, and you can't waste a failure. Um, these losses that we've had in the last minutes of games, well, you know, we got to chalk those up as learning experiences and learn from them. And so maybe if this happens again this season, we can respond better. And certainly uh, for next season, 
And I, I think, you know, so far, obviously not the outcomes we would have liked, but um, it's been so close. And what a message to take into the rest of the season and the off season. Like, you know, it, it's just the little things. You know, maybe instead of doing eight reps of squat when the coach tells you to, do ten. Just do that little extra because, you know, that's what it takes. You know, when we did win the conference championship, it wasn't because we were blowing teams out. It was just the, the little extra things we did right. And so can we can we get that back? Can we find that, that grit or that toughness? Um, and just what Coach Torbush would always say, that intestinal fortitude um, to – to find a way to win and you know if find a way make a way is something coach sanders says all the time and um as a team that's where we have to get to i'm going to put you in an uncomfortable situation because i know randy sanders answer to this he would say quarterback what is different about this offense from last year's offense that they're not getting that job done i you know i i would never say that um i think trey is doing the best he can do i think he's trying to um you know, make the plays, and you know certainly he makes the right reads. Sometimes the ball doesn't come out the way it needs to. Sometimes it doesn't get caught. Sometimes people aren't in the right spot. Sometimes he gets hit when he's throwing. Um, I think the biggest thing I see, um, and this is kind of in general, is we need more spark plays. You know, more plays where kind of switches the momentum of a game. Um, and for whatever reason, that always kind of happened last year. Whether um, the play that Kobe caught against the Citadel last year where I was rolling to my left and threw all the way across the field, kind of flipped the field. It was right after halftime. And that kind of not only got the offense believing we could get going, it got the defense going. And we had that play last week at Chattanooga. I think that made the, the game even more disappointing that we lost is we kind of saw we had that momentum for a little bit and lost it. So um, having plays that, that get you momentum and then the defense coming back and sustaining that momentum – it's something we just really hadn't had this year on offense. Maybe we go make a play, and then we give up a touchdown. Or maybe the defense has a crucial stop, and then we go three and out. Um, it just there hasn't been, um, you know, kind of those those plays that change games. And it's weird. We're watching tape, and it's clear that, that we're blocking things better. We're, we're executing more consistently this year than we were last year. It was, and which is crazy to say, but you look at it, we had some runs where we didn't block a soul last year that Quay and Jacob um, were able to take 40 or 50 yards because the defense was just out, out of position or they had run a stunt or a twist the wrong way, and we just kind of <laughs> got lucky. Well, this year we blocked everyone, but kind of like the fourth and two play. Well, we blocked it, but they sent a blitz off the side, and so they had more than we could block. And so just things like that are – are really interesting to where, you know, it's kind of a flip of a coin luck sometimes, but, you know, you see the two best teams in football, the Patriots and Alabama. They do whatever they can to eliminate the luck. They make their own luck, so to speak, where the attention to detail by the players and the coaches is so high that, you know, when they do lose, it's the little fluke stuff, like the helmet catch or the kick six at Bama, things like that. You never see them except the national championship game, just get completely blown out. And, um, you know, right now it's just those little things that we have to we have to continue to focus on as players and coaches. And, um, you know, like I said earlier, we can't waste these failures, can't waste these losses. They're, they're too tough, too um, unfortunate to just 
you know, not take these lessons that, that we've been given. All right, we've had a trifecta of takes. You've compared yourself to Tom Brady. I can compared Chris Oladokun to Aaron Rodgers, and you just said that the Patriots and the Crimson Tide of Alabama are the two best teams in football. Which, Consistently. Uh, that's not hot. So that, that's, if that's New a England very, and Alabama were in the NFL, Alabama no, would be the no, second no, that's best. Not you what said I the meant. two best teams but, in football. See, see that's you how you interpret it. You didn't say at the level. No, oh my, you didn't okay. say at their, le- Consistently at their respective level. At their, yeah, I, I would never say that Alabama would beat an NFL team. There's no college Must I rewind team. the tape and tell you where you said Alabama and okay. New England are the two best teams in football? If we're going to take it literal, then yes, <laughs> technically I, I misspoke. But what I meant is at their respective level. But, you know, if we're going to be hot takes here, then uh, – and we can continue with the hot takes. All right, it's been a rough week for you. I think you need to go rest up, get some sleep, and then be back up for your 4.30 a.m. workout. Are you still going to those on your own? Well, yeah, I, I sent you a, a text this morning at like 4.50, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, um, do I do I look like I can handle a 4.30 a.m. workout? I, I was just, well, I mean, yeah, you, the, the big thing is just getting there. So if you get there, then then you're giving it yourself a chance to be successful. So but if I get there, can I just sit there and watch you work out? Is that how it works? or do you actually I feel have to like that would be out? more miserable than actually doing the workout because yeah. if you just sit there you're like why didn't I go to sleep because I, I realize the athlete that you are and seeing what you're able to do in the weight room that makes me a remedial athlete at best because you being a dual threat quarterback seven years ago seeing that recede into pocket quarterback as you were late in your career that at best could extend to play I would feel so terrible about myself you're right it would be more miserable yeah you know my body just started breaking down at my at my young age and let's so, not make it sad come on don't, yeah don't it's been a rough here. week yeah I, I gotta I gotta be more positive it is it's on you it's your energy that's bringing down yeah, your week ba- I think it's ba- not everyone else yeah I, I gotta get my energy up and uh just just put a more positive spin on things it's on me guys I'll, I'll take this one all right I can't wait for us to get a win this week so all of our energy can be raised and lifted a bit thanks for the time no doubt go Bucks. Austin Herrick offensive quality control coach for ETSU football it is Sanford and the Bucks this week in Birmingham, 11.30 is the pregame show on the Buccaneers Sports Network. 1 o'clock, kick, Bulldogs, and Bucks. Back with more on Santos and the Sidekick after this word from the Van Wagner Buccaneers Sports Network. ETSU fans, there is no more entertaining way to spend your Wednesday nights than with the human soundbite reel, Randy Sanders. It's big boy football. The Buccaneer head coach joins Jay Sandos live at Wild Wing Cafe every Wednesday night at 6 p.m., And if you can't make it to downtown Johnson City to have chicken wings and tater tots with coach, you can listen right here on AM 640. All fall long, ETSU head football coach Randy Sanders, Wednesday nights. What time is it anyway? 6 p.m. on the Sports Monster. Look, I think it's plain to see Andrew Luck is going to be the top quarterback in football this year. If you don't think Antonio Brown's going to be a model system when he finally gets out of Pittsburgh and Oakland and goes to New England, you're crazy. The AAF is a juggernaut. It's only a matter of time before it overtakes the NFL. You really think the NFL and Roger Goodell is going to let Josh Gordon back in? I mean, it's obvious. Fletcher McGee is getting drafted, maybe even in the first round. No, 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 no. I've got plenty of sources more than you, Mike, in Knoxville. Rick Barnes is no way considering that UCLA job. Bold predictions. All right, we'll see how this goes. Bold predictions. As, uh, I'm the leader, I'm pretty sure. No. In case you missed it, Demarius Thomas did not get a touchdown 
on Monday Night Football against New England Patriots. Why I predicted that when I also predicted a shutout for the Jets' offense, I'm not sure. Now, to be fair, were you hedging your bets somehow? Because you could no, you didn't, because you didn't play either one of them as uh, two bold predictions. Is that what no. you? No, I don't know what was going. On. I, Friday, I picked the Demarius Thomas touchdown against his former team. I was into storylines, and none of them worked out. I also had Russell Wilson having a bad thing happen to to him in a very veiled and spooky bold prediction here in the month of October. Didn't work out, uh, and I also missed uh, Arizona State over Utah. Anyway, point being, Demarius Thomas, no touchdown. That left me at 3-17. and 17. You are 2-18, and 18, so uh, I'm still one ahead. I think we're way off our pace from last year. Uh. Last year we converted at like a 20 23% clip, something like that, and right now we're in bad shape. And uh, once again, to start us off badly, I'm going to go ahead and defer to you. All right. So ETSU Sanford, we always try to do one about the game. I think this is a game that ETSU is going to finally get some ground game going. Oh, 250 no. yards rushing. <laughs> 250. So, so here's do you what, have it written down? Here's what I have. ETSU's been averaging 135 rushing yards per game over the last four. I had them going over 200 this week. So here's this more bold. So I'm going to go ahead and cross mine out, change mine. Now, this is just proof that we do not run our bold predictions by each other before. Do you have another one? Do do I need to go to a uh, (laughs) – Do you want to go over some different ones that you can? No, no. I had I had one back as a backup. I'm going to go with uh, less penalty yards for ETSU than Sanford this week even though they're averaging twice as many throughout the year. And Sanford's least penalty yards in the league, ETSU's most penalty yards in the league. We foreshadowed both of our predictions in the first segment. Okay. All right. There we go. Uh, My uh, second uh, prediction is going to be the Wofford Terriers. It's two. Both both things have to happen for uh, the bold prediction to work. Wofford will win by 20 or more, and Joe Newman will account for four or more touchdowns. So rushing or throwing. Four, Four scores. For Newman, plus a 20-point or more win for the Wofford Terriers. So, needless to say, you are not believing in the mocks. Or are you just doubling down against my bold prediction of Chattanooga winning the league this year? I think you know if we're going on how I feel about the mocks, then you should pretty much know how this pick went. That's an emotional pick. Now, I do like the thought. I I think Wofford's going to win that game as well. I think we both said that on Wednesday. And Chattanooga's on the road. That's going to be really, really tough for the mocks and I, I didn't like steal yours did I? no I kind of like that bold prediction that would be incredible if you stole that one because I think mm. both of ours in the first one were probably pretty uh, bland vanilla generic ones but that that would be impressive if you stole that one I have Northwestern who is at home at one in five on the year upsetting Iowa for a few reasons firstly Pat, Pat Fitzgerald has never won less than four games at Northwestern he's made a bowl nine of the last 11 years and he kept it close with Wisconsin on the road Nebraska on the road and Stanford on the road um all three of those teams were ranked at the time, if memory serves. Two of the three, uh, if Nebraska wasn't. They were ranked at one point in the year. But anyway, uh, Pat Fitzgerald is too good of a head coach to see this season continue to dovetail as it is. Northwestern, nine-and-a-half-point dogs at home. The Wildcats for their first Big Ten win of the year over the Hawkeyes, though the one way this can go bad for me is if, much like you always see at Northwestern, no one shows up. And it turns out that Northwestern just happens to be a better road team in terms of keeping it close with ranked teams than they are a home team. And I have a sinking feeling that that could be the case, but I'm still sticking with the bold prediction. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, and Northwestern has been known to do that, and Iowa has been known to lay eggs, right? So you, it's Love a, it. Yeah, playing a couple different trends there. The last bold prediction, I'm going to the NFL. I'm going with uh, a play because – 
I've seen it happen with a team I pull for where a team trades one of the most popular locker room guys because they want to save money, they think they got to the position, and it happens either right before the year, like right before week one, or it happens a couple games in, and then it just demoralizes the team for a few weeks until they can kind of regroup. So I'm going the New York football giants. Uh, last I looked, uh, seven and a half point dogs at Detroit and going giants straight up win. And the Lions just look lackadaisical and very upset that their good buddy and favorite locker room guy has just been traded for no particular reason. Who was the locker room guy that got traded? Uh, uh, um, Can you name him? You, you had the Diggs, ball Diggs. Yeah, it's Diggs. I, I can't think of his first name. His last name is Diggs. It's a, a, it's a unique first name. Hmm. It's not like John Diggs or not Stephon. Stephon Diggs. It is yeah. not. It is no. Diggs. Not Niall Diggs. Niall Diggs was a it linebacker not, for the Packers. Back it, it is not Niall Diggs, but it is Diggs. You. He's a strong safety. They have like four or five safeties playing very well at that point. I'll so. let you look that up and try and finish out your bowl prediction with confidence rather than not even knowing what's going on. Uh, I have the Astros winning all three this weekend on the road at Washington in the World Series. I am not backing off this Astros take. Right when they got Zach Reinke, I said, this is a world championship team. I'm doubling down even though they lost two at home and the second one in decisive fashion. It is the Astros winning all three, taking a 3-2 lead back to Houston. Uh Quan, uh, Quandre Diggs. Quandre Diggs. Yeah, oh, Quandre. I'm Rolls off of a, the tongue, doesn't it? I'm more Quandre of a Niall Diggs. Diggs, Stephon Diggs guy. I'm more of... All I paid attention to is I've seen it happen with... Uh, you just don't like Matt Patricia. Let's just get it out there right now. You're not a Matt Patricia type why, of guy. Why am I not a Matt Patricia? You don't like people he that is leave chubby. He is chubby. He has a beard. And he's probably got a hot wife. Well, well, and he makes a lot of money. We're, he's no longer with New it. England, and he wants to be Bill Belichick. Well, yeah, sure. I want him to lose every game now. Exactly. I mean, he's not with my team. Yeah. So but I've, I've seen it. this happen Wishing before. Wishing ill seen upon this, him is not I've liking seen, him. I've seen this happen before. You wish ill upon coaches him. Coaches outthink themselves. Even the coaches up. You're mad that he's stealing the wardrobe. He's a guy that dresses mm, down just like Belichick. Oh, and me. I dress <laughs> just like those guys, too. What are you talking about? With much less success. Yeah, well, that's true. All right, Santa's sidekick. That's uh, all we got for you for ETSU and Samford Week. When we come back on Monday, we'll recap that game. Santa's sidekick, Buccaneer. Sports Network. See ya.